All right, before we get started tonight, um, sick among us or sick that we know of that we want to keep in our prayers that um, weren't able to be here with us tonight. Hands up, hands up. All right, let's open in prayer, remembering the sick, um, and then we will get started into God's Word. Lord, I thank you uh, for allowing us to be here today. Um, I thank you for Christ. I thank you uh, for the cross. I thank you for the hope that we have in the work that Christ has done that we could never do. Uh, Lord, you know each and every one of our lives. Uh, You know those from within uh, this church who are sick. You know those who are hurting. Uh, You know those who are unable to be with us here tonight because of those sicknesses or those ailments. Um, And we believe that you are a God who sees our needs, who sees our hurts and our pain, um, and that you are faithful to work through those things no matter what they may be ultimately for your glory and your name's sake and also for the good of the people that you are uh, calling out from among this world. I pray as we get into your word tonight that um, you would move among us, that your Holy Spirit would uh, move in our hearts, that we would gain a greater understanding of your word, a greater love and passion for the truth that we find about you in the word that you have given us. Lord, and that ultimately your Holy Spirit would work within our hearts, uh, conforming us into the image of Christ, uh, that you would work through us, uh, Lord, um, as a church body and as individuals in ways that we would have never anticipated, Lord, that um, you would work through us, work through me tonight, Lord, you know uh, what we've been dealing with this week, and I'm sure my church family knows as well with Isaac and um his broken femur, Lord, um, you know, even as I stand here now, that uh, my mind is um, clouded and unclear. Um, I thank you, uh, Lord, and I pray that I would be a man that would always cling tightly to you, um, that I would always rest in you, and um, I thank you uh, that you would um, see fit to, by whatever means necessary, lead your people into deeper and greater faith and hope and reliance on you. Lord, and I know that oftentimes that comes uh, when trials come upon us, Lord, uh, let the pain and the brokenness uh, be a reminder to us that things are not right, Lord, but let us also be reminded in the pain that it is to awaken us to what you are doing and what you are working, Lord, so that we never see the pain or the trial or the hurt and think that it is in vain or that it is for nothing, but that we always reflect upon it because to know pain, we know what it is like to not feel pain or otherwise we would not be able to have this perspective of pain in general. And I pray that pain would always be something that drives us closer to you and not farther away from you. 
Lord, because our only hope of healing is in You. You are the great physician and You are the ultimate healer, Lord. Though our bodies may break, though our bodies will one day fail us, our hope is in You, that You will one day uh, raise us to life again in a body like You've raised Christ to life again. And that we as Christians um, can cling to this and can hope in this in such a way that when the world looks at us, they think, what a crazy people they are. Uh, that they would have a hope, even though sometimes it seems like the situations are hopeless. Um, Lord, that, that in that, that they would see something greater. That they would see that it is not us, and, and we don't stand in our own strength. But when we stand, and oftentimes when we stand the strongest is when we feel the weakest, and when we feel the, the most broken down. So, um, so here... Here I am. Um, Lord, and I, I rest in knowing that when I am inadequate and when my mind is clouded and when my hands are shaking because my nerves feel shot, that, that you are always there. I thank you, Lord, and because of that, I will stand and preach until the last breath is breathed from my lungs. And every time that I preach your word, Lord, I will preach as though it is my last time to speak your word, because one day that will be the case. And when I stand before you, Lord, I pray, I pray that I would have been faithful to what you are doing. In me, in this church, in this world, for your name's sake, for your glory, because you are worth every breath that comes from our lungs. Lord, and as we dig through this gospel, I pray that that is the hope that we find and the hope that we rest in. Lord, let me preach today as though it would be my last. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're going to be in Romans today. Um, chapter 2. Uh, y'all bear with me. Like I said, my mind is not as clear or as sharp or as carefree or worry-free, but um, God is so good. Um, Tonight, there, and I'm going to just read this to you. There's sometimes that I feel like I just need to write it out so that I say it to you so that if I were to fail in, in presenting it like this, at least maybe you would be able to go back and uh, read uh, and study for yourselves and see these things. So there's going to be three major things that I want us to look at tonight in this text. Um, these are not necessarily points because some of these kind of intertwine with one another in a way that might would make it indistinguishable. And so when we're going through this, some of this stuff is going to overlap in such a way that we're going to be talking about uh, two of these points at any given time, probably at the same time. Uh, so these are three ideas or three concepts that I want us uh, to pull out of the text. And, I, and, and of each of these three ideas, there's really two sub-ideas that I want us to look at in each of these. So I'm just going to read to you kind of the plan of what I want us to see tonight. Tonight I want us to examine or explore the knowledge of sin. 
I want us to examine and explore the weakness of man. Um, and I want us to look at false hope in false religion. Under each one of these, we're going to discuss uh, conscience, the conscience that God has placed within us, the written law, um, man going against conscience, man breaking the written law, and, and, and ultimately we're going to kind of examine false religion in uh, the outward appearances that we tend to give uh, as we, uh, and, and I, say, I say we here, uh, and we're going to get to a point here where what, we're gonna, what I'm going to tell you is that it should not be the case that we fall into, the, into these situations because ultimately this, this false religion, false or false hope found in a false religion um, should not be spoken of the church. But unfortunately, oftentimes I think that it is because sometimes I think we as uh, Christians fall into the same traps that uh, the Jews fell into. But as we dig into this, what I want you to, to kind of see is that it should not be said of us, though that oftentimes it is, right? Because we have a hope not to fall into uh, false hope and false religion uh, like the, the Jews had fell into, because the Holy Spirit ultimately is that thing that uh, is working in, uh, working in the church and working in believers. So those are, those are some of the ideas that we're going to be exploring tonight. Uh, excuse me. Um, we're going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 12. We left off last week uh, examining, uh, kind of finishing up with chapter 2, verse 12 and verse 13. And, and this verse really plays a, a good kind of pivoting point um, between what we were looking at over in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way up to chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And now it's going to kind of give us another uh, another kind of position to kind of launch off into this uh, this next half of uh, this idea of the problem of sin, right? So we're going to start there. I would ask, uh, as I'm preaching tonight, that if you would just be praying for uh, praying for me, just that um, that God would uh, kind of remove the cares or concerns uh, of this world from my mind, that I would be able to speak uh, His word clearly tonight. Um, there's so much good truth in this that I don't want us uh, that I don't want us to miss out on because of because of the, you know, my, whatever I got going on in my head right now. Um, so just, like I said, be praying for me as we go through this. So let's uh, start chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So here last week we started all or we kind of started off and ended with verse twelve and thirteen, reflecting back on what we had looked at before, as far as the shortcomings and the failings of the of the Gentiles and of the Jews, one in in what? The suppressing of truth, right? So the Gentiles suppress truth how? What, what was the way in which the Gentiles were suppressing truth? So, hiding sins, specifically hiding the truth about what God has revealed of Himself in what He's created, right? So God has given the world as a whole a light by what He's created so that we could see the character of God, right? 
So the Gentiles, this, this would be the... And, and what we say of the Gentiles, we can also say of the Jews. The Jews will see, take it one step further in suppressing truth. But everyone will, who, is, who is lost will look at the world and suppress what can be clearly seen in the world, that it's the handiwork of God, and will attribute it to other things. So the truth that we see the Gentiles doing, suppressing truth about God. And in the Jews, we find the same thing going on. So God reveals Himself to the Jews in a very special, a very personal way, and He gives them His Word. He gives them the law. He gives them specific commandments that tell us about the character and nature of God. And what have the Jews done? At the point that we are at in the history of of redemption, we're here at Romans, what have the Jews now done with the law? This is We spent last week and a little bit of the week before that, talking about the Jews and what they've done with the law. They've mishandled the law, right? The Jews have taken the law and they've taken it and really abused it in such a way that it was never intended initially for, right? They became judges instead of being judged by it, right? So they take the law and they feel self-righteous. They feel good about themselves. Instead of looking in the law and being convicted by the law and being pointed to a need for a Savior, they instead find what we find in the opening of chapter 2, where they, is, Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges from passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Right? So this is not a case of the Jews were actually taking the law, doing the law, and then using the law to judge others. But the Jews were judging the lives of others while they themselves were not being made righteous by the law. Right? This is a very hypocritical type of living that we find among the Jews. Right? To where that they would judge another man's life by the law, knowing good and well that they themselves were not holding up to the standard of the law. Right? So, in doing this, what they were doing, again, suppressing the truth of God. How I want us to think again on this. I hope that we didn't miss this last week. And how acting like you're good and judging others, how is that a suppression of the truth of God? I want us to think about that. I hope that we didn't miss it last week. Just think about how if I were to stand here and I were to act as though everything was good and I never had problems, and then I point it out and I say, here's problems, here's problems, here's things y'all need to deal with, here's things y'all need to deal with. How am I suppressing the truth of God? Well, in what way am I doing that? So that is, that is it exactly, Brother Kip. That is, that is essentially me saying that I'm without sin saying that I'm not in the same need of the law as all of you are in need of the law, right? To say that you need to be judged, yet I'm the judge myself. We, we find the Jews suppressing in a very scary, and a very, in some ways, worse way than the Gentiles, Right? Because the law was given what? To show the sinfulness of man. 
And the Jews, in the, in the way that they treat the law, suppress the truth that man is ultimately sinful and can in no way uphold to the law or meet the requirements of the law. Right? So the law is given to show sinfulness of man, and the Jews, by it, try to show themselves righteous and condemn the world as though they need no Savior. And this, do you not see how this is a very perverse way of suppressing the truth of God? God gives the law, and the law was never, and and we're going to continue to see that as we kind of dig in tonight, the law was never intended to make man righteous, right? I hope that we get this, and unfortunately I think sometimes we don't, and and I say that because oftentimes we ourselves, when you think about how you are a better Christian, right? What's the ways in which you think, how do I live a more full and complete Christian life? Oftentimes when we think about that, if y'all would be honest, you would say, well probably I'm looking at like Ten Commandments, I'm saying, can I keep those today? Right? Am I wrong in saying that? Do Do we not do that? Right? I think that we do. I think that we do. And in the same way, we'll find ourselves suppressing the truth in our own lives, saying that by keeping this law or by following these commands, that I myself can be a better Christian. But I, what, and this is, we're going to find that, and it's, when I say this, I've said it enough and I've taught this enough in different classes to know the reaction that tends to come when I say that your purpose in life is not to follow after the law. I know how like counterintuitive that seems, right? Like if I tell you, stop chasing after following the law. How many of you, when you hear me say that, that feels awkward to hear? Be honest. Be honest. If I tell you stop following after the law, how many of you does that feel like? It's just like, man, that almost seems like heretical. Right? Well, what happens when we, when we find in Scripture where it starts giving us very, very, very similar commands as, as Christians? Your life will never be completed in following the law. For the same reason that the Jews... We're not, because we've taken the law and we've placed it in a place that it was never meant to be, right? When we say that in following after the law, I can be completed, then we are denying and suppressing the truth that the law was intended to show us all along. That you are in need of something greater. The law is powerful in shining a light on your sinfulness. It's not powerful in helping you overcome your sin. There's a fundamental difference in that, right? The law cannot empower you not to sin. Right? That don't, how many knots did I fit into that sentence? Right? The, the, maybe too many? Was that a, a double negative? I'm not sure. The law cannot give you that strength. Right? So if you wake up every morning and you get your checklist out, And you're like, I'm going to keep all of these today, and at the end of that day, if I can keep those, I'm a good Christian. Then you're failing in a major way to even understand the purpose for which the law was given. Right? When I, when you, peer into the truth of the law, do you know what it should do? It should not embolden us to say, I can keep that today. It should drive us to the foot of the cross... 
so that we're empowered by the only one who ever could so that we don't chase after the law, but we chase after Christ, right? We don't chase after the mandates of the law, but we live in the Spirit. Now, I want you to get something. I want you to see something clearly. That I can tell you not to chase after the law and not be worried that you're going to go off sinning. Because if you're chasing and being led by the Spirit, do you think the Spirit of God is going to lead you into sin? Right? No. So we chase after God. We seek first Christ. And what we find is that the Holy Spirit... In, here's, the, here's the thing. When you step forward into eternity, you think that you will not sin. Because you empower yourself to keep the law for eternity. Do you know why you will not sin? Because the Spirit will empower you in a way that we cannot yet even imagine. Right? And it will lead us in such a way that our passions and desires do not seek to break the law of God. Right? We will have new desires. Do you see that breaking, you break the law and you sin because you desire to sin. So when you see the law, you're really seeing what you like to do. Right? It's like, put God first, right? There should be no other gods before you. And you wake up every morning and what you do is you, and, and I'm speaking in the broad sense, but as Christians, this should not be the truth that's for us. But when I say you, I'm kind of speaking in that broad sense here, is that when you wake up in the morning, you first thing you tend to do is put another God before Him. And that God is you. Right? So you seek yourself and your own will and your own desire first. Right? Because you want to. Because you desire to. Because your heart is set on it. So the problem is not that you don't know what sin is. The problem is that you love to sin. Because your desires love sin. And God has promised us new desires. And a new heart. Right? So let's dig in and let's look at this. Verse uh, 14. So we're kind of catapulting out of 12 and 13 here. I'm going to start in 12, and then we'll just read through um, 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Do I need to read that last part again? For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by their nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. I want to I show here, God has placed within us a light into the nature of who He is. This is what Scripture is telling us here. Now sin manipulates that. 
but it's still there. And do you know what we do? And, and now we, we live in a world where you got the Bible and you got, like, you, you know what God's law says. So when you, when you sin, you tend to know what sin you're, or what law you're breaking. But if you had no law, if you lived in a world where the law was unknown to you, you would still have within you a conscience written with the hand of God to what is right and what is wrong. And do you know what you would do? You would violate your own conscience. Now you break the law, church. We break the law because we know what the law commands. So it's not a matter of, man, I feel bad doing this. Like it's a matter of, I can go and look at the scripture that would tell me not to do it. Right? But here's what the, here's what God's word tells us. Is that if you had not the law, you would still have an inner witness as to what is right and wrong in some very broad categories. Yet we still find murder. We still find theft. Right? We still find adultery. Right? And this, this is in place, and you would know it to be true. Even if you did not have the law, you would know these things. And you know what would happen? Your knowledge of that would not help you in any way. So then you might would say, well, if I knew a little bit more, like if you were in that context where you didn't know it, you're, you, you might would think to yourself, you know, if I really knew that was bad, I probably wouldn't do it. Like if God would just tell me straight up that adultery is wrong, I, I, would, I would probably tend not to do it. And you know what you find is that you having them written out to you is not going to help you in any way not do it. Do you, do you get that? Right? This is what we're going to find is being laid out here. Is that it is not a matter of the knowledge to which you have of sin. Right? It's the heart that you have as a sinner. Right? So it's not, it's not a matter of if you knew more about what to do. Right? That's not the problem. The problem is not that you don't know enough. Right? That you're not knowledgeable enough. Right? And this applies in multiple different ways, right? You reading this even more, if you are lost, you reading this even more is not going to help you live better. Right? Knowledge alone will not change you. Right? We corrupt and suppress truth. So more truth will not help the one who suppresses truth. Right? We need to be transformed. So as we dig through this, I want you to get this. That we see progressively more and more knowledge of what sin is without any hope of that changing the sinner into one that is not a sinner. Right? That's what we're going to see in this passage of text as we continue to dig through. Verse 15, They show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse... Or even excuse them. Right? So that's again what I said. That God has written. Right? Written on the hearts of men. Giving them a conscience that at certain times accuses them. And at other times excuses them. Verse 16. On the day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now from this I want us to see some very intense truth that there is coming a specific day of judgment. We saw this earlier 
It was called over in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, the day of wrath. Here in verse 16 of chapter 2, we find him saying, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges. So there's coming a very specific day of judgment. And what's going to happen on this day? God's going to judge not only what you know and what everybody else knows about you, but God is going to judge the secrets of men. And He's not just going to do this in a, in a very general and open, like, I say open, that's probably not the right word, in a very generic way. He's going to do this in a specific way. It says He's going to judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So here's the standard by which, if you're trying to live each and every day, and you're wanting to, to follow the law and measure up, then when you get there, you're going to be standing before the judge who did it and failed not in even one minute point. Right? You will be judged by Christ Jesus. Right? This is the standard of righteousness that we have. This is not some generic and vague reference to righteousness. There is a man who lived righteously. And I don't know that we oftentimes think of that. Scripture tells us that he was tempted and tried in every way. So I want you to think about your lives specifically in ways that you've been tempted and you've fallen. In no way would Christ have broken there. In no way. Yet you do. Yet you do. Do you know what this tells you about you? That you're not righteous. You're not righteous. Christ is righteous. And He's a righteous Judge. So there's coming a day of judgment by which Christ will judge. Not only what's known about you, but what you alone know. Verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew, so we're speaking about the Gentiles who have a particular revelation of uh, the law or the, the, the character of God, and, and specifically, it's been written on their hearts We've been given conscience. One step further, the Jews have been given enlightenment by the written law. Uh, verse 17, we're going to start looking into this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. I want you to, I want you to see in this all these all these. These words that are being put here so that we know that the Jew knows, right? We know they have knowledge of God's law, right? So he's, he's, he's saying this in a couple of different ways so that, we, so that we know this clearly, right? They rely on the law. I want you to think about who do you rely on or what do you rely on? Do you rely on the law, right? If you are seeking righteousness by your own actions, then yes, you do rely on the law. Right? So the Jews relied on the law here. And they boasted in God. Verse 18. And they know His will. So this is not a matter of they didn't know enough or if they only knew more. Or if it was only a little more clear to them that they would then be able to live up to it. This is not a matter of just taking more step or one more step or putting in more effort 
or maybe going to seminary, or maybe, you know, spending a couple of years at the tabernacle. Like, this is not a matter of getting more of what the Jews have, right? That's not, that's not what's going to do it. And we're going to see that clearly here in a little bit. Verse 18, and they know His will, and they approve the law. So not only they know it, but they say, yeah, that's good. That's the way you should live. Verse 19, and if you're sure that you... I want, I want us to listen to the, to the words that he uses here. And if, you are sure, and if you are sure that you are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others... Do you not teach yourselves? I'm going to read that again. I want you to see all that they claim to be. And know that they were none of that. Verse 19. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. The embodiment of it. So there was no more in the knowledge category that you were going to get if you were going to be able to do it yourself. Right? We found four specific things there that they thought themselves to be, all of which is misguided and suppressing the truth of what the law is supposed to do for us. They claimed to be gods, a light, an instructor, a teacher. None of which they were. All of which the law is. Do you get me? Do you see how our sin would want to take credit for something that, it, that we are not? We would claim to be something that we are not. Because it makes us look good. But in fact, it is the law that is a guide. The law that shines light. The law that instructs and the law that teaches. So let's not find ourselves in the same place that the Jews found themselves. Let's not be claiming to be what we are not. But let us be led by the law. Let us let the law shine a light on our sinfulness. Let it instruct us in who we are. And let it teach us what we're not. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Again, in this statement, we see the state of the heart when all it has is knowledge and nothing to empower it. Right? This is the state in which the Jews found themselves here. They had the law, they had knowledge, but they could not live according to it. If you were to fast forward over and start reading in chapter 7 of this book, I want you to ask yourselves as you're reading through it, what that chapter sounds like. Right? Because that's a couple of chapters away still. And what we're going to find is that many of you, when you read that chapter, you say, well, that's me. That's me. And oftentimes when we hear that chapter preached, we preach it like, well, that's Paul. That's Paul. 
And Paul's trying to tell us the truth there. That we need to start grasping here that it's not knowledge that empowers us, but the Spirit that empowers us. That's why chapter 8 follows chapter 7. Right? So I want you to start seeing this now so that when we get there, we don't fall into the same issues that the Jews are having, thinking that it's us doing it. Right? That it's us working these things out. But that we understand that the same thing that is going to save us is going to carry us on in our salvation. Right? These are the kind of truths that I want us to be looking at as we dig through, uh, as we dig through this book. So, yes. We're chasing after something else. We're chasing, we're trying to hold the law, and while we're trying to get everything together, we should have been spending that time at the feet of Christ. We should have, and we're afraid. Do you not see that we're afraid? Like you're afraid to turn from the law because you think, well, if I'm not focusing on it, you, you think, I fail at this so bad now that if it's not my primary focus and my primary intention when I wake up, that I'm going to fail even worse. How will we cling to Christ knowing that we couldn't do it in the first place? Do you get this? Do you understand this? That your standing before God is not based on your checklist. It's based on His checklist. And He's completed it. It's finished. Right? He said it Himself. But we do. We get it. We get caught in that. And thinking that, well, I've got to focus here. I've got to focus on Christ. This is the whole point of what we're going to be going in. You've got bigger things set in front of you than checking off checklists that have already been completed for you. Right? And I know, and when I say this, I, I know that that's going to take me prying that out of your brains because it's so ingrained in us as a church culture. Right? It's so ingrained, like this idea that, that we've got to check li- list off. We've got to be this good or, or that good. Like in some way we're going to get to the point to where we say, you know, Jesus, now I don't need you anymore. You, you, you kind of helped me get that whole thing started, but now I'm in a place where I can handle it now. You know, like we're going to get to a point that we can take the Jesus training wheels off or something. Right? I mean, that's how we live. Like these, these training wheels get us there. And then when we get there, he'll let us free and he'll let us fly. And what we don't get is that, that your whole life, you're going to be living in constant reliance on Christ. Right? In constant reliance on Christ. Get comfortable in that. Right? Be comfortable needing Christ for everything. Get comfortable needing Him for the very breath that you breathe. Right? We should be comfortable in that. That's faith. We place our faith in Him. That's why faith is such a big deal. Right? So let's continue on. While you... Preach against stealing. Do you steal? So when he's asking these questions, do you know what the answer is? Yes is the answer. So when I, when I read these things off, y'all just y'all say yes. <laughs> Would y'all do that for me? <laughs> I'm going to read it. Y'all just be like, yes. Right? So why you preach against stealing? Do you steal? Yes. <laughs> it's going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> 
<laughs> you who s- <laughs> I tricked y'all. <laughs> you who say that one must not commit adultery. <laughs> Do you commit adultery? <laughs> you who abhor idols. Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It is. It is. You know why? Do you know why? Because when they look at us, they see us checking our list off. And they see us highlighting where others have not checked theirs off. Right? Now here's the thing. I'm not telling you that we should not stand for what is right and disapprove of what is wrong. Right? I am in no way saying that. What I'm saying is that we deal with this in a whole other way. We, we suppress, and this is why this should not, church, this should not be said of us. Yes, y'all don't, y'all may, some of you may get this. Some of you, it may drop on you like a bomb, like months from now, when we start really digging deep down into this. But so oftentimes, as the church, we live as the Jews, chasing after the approval of God by checking off a list. Instead of living before the world so that they see our constant reliance on Christ. Right? So just as the world could see straight through the Jews, they're like, don't steal. And they're like, yeah, man, I know that guy. I saw him yesterday. And he paid the guy like 50 bucks. And he should have paid him 100 for the work that he did. I see them when they go in the temples. I hear them when they come out. Like, I, I know the lies that they tell. And here they are trying to tell me not to. They're trying to tell me don't commit adultery. And, I, I, man, I know the rabbi down the street, he slept with like three of his congregation. Right? I mean, y'all act like, man, I, I, it happens. It happens. Even within the church, and it should not be. It should do you know what? You can't be a hypocrite if you admit to your sinfulness. You become hypocritical when you act as though you do not sin. Right? That's when we become hypocrites. And we act in some way as though it would be bad for us to say we rely on Christ. Right? Like we somehow look at that as though we're weak or something. You want me to tell you what God's Word says? Is that you are weak or something. Right? So whether you want to admit to it or not, you need Christ for everything. So don't be blinded to it, and don't suppress the truth of that. Because it should not be said among us. It should not be said of us out in the world. Because what God's Word says of us is what it says of them. We just are in a little bit different relationally to the cross. We've accepted the work of it while they have not. And we should be living in such a way, not that we're going to check off lists so that one day they say, well, they are as good as they claim to be. 
We're going to live in such a way as that they see in us a reliance on Christ and they understand the truth of it being lived out in our lives. And we preach the gospel to them so that they can have the same hope that we have. Verse 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. If I'm, I'm going to read from 25 down to the end of the chapter. And then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of talk about what's going on in here. I want to bring a couple of things to your mind that we're going to see farther on along in Scripture. I want you to I want to make mention of some things that I want you yourselves to go and dig into. Uh, personally, um, this is the part of the, the message that is going to be dealing with um, uh, false truth or false ideas and, and false religion. Um, and we're going to see this play out here. And it's really going to be highlighted um, when, we, when we start seeing this later on in Scripture. I want to mention a couple of things before we really start digging into this first. Um, Paul, throughout the book of Romans, is going to be making mention of things that would be very well known among the Jews that he's not going to have to go into detail explaining like the, the intricacies of these things. We may have to explain them a little bit to us because we're not Jewish. right? But Paul, when he's speaking these things, to the, to the Jewish hearer, these things would come across clear. They wouldn't really need so much of the backstory. But what we're going to find Paul doing throughout Scripture, and he's, he's really starting here, and we're going to see it play out through the entire book, is, is he's going to take what the Jew has come to know as truth within their culture, within the way that they live and do religion, and he's going to be remolding it and reshaping it into what they should have seen all along. Does that make sense? Did I say that where it was clear? He's going to take a misconception about what it means to be a Jew. And he's going to shape that throughout the book at different points, highlighting things that they believe, showing them what they should have instead believed. And throughout the way, he's going to be bringing to, to, to bear, bringing to light this question, what does it mean to be a Jew, really? Right? And he's going to start... He's going to start that here as he starts talking about circumcision. He's going to mention circumcision here in a way that is not true of circumcision if you go back and you look in the Old Testament. Given our understanding of what circumcision is and was for and when it was given. And honestly, it should have been well known to the Jews of this day. And we're going to see him at some points throughout this book say things like clearly. Like he's going to use clearly speaking about Jewish things to them, which was really countercultural to the ways that the Jews were living then. So um, that being said, we're kind of getting into this, and we'll start some next week as well, um, talking about some of these things where Paul is kind of bringing out Jewish ideas, Jewish thoughts, and then reshaping them, re, uh, remolding them, not into something new, but what they were truly what was truth to begin with, right? So he's trying to unravel this suppression of truth, right? So sin would do what? Suppress truth. Truth is going to come to bear uh, as Paul uh, pours through this book. So uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 25. Circumcision is of value if you obey the law 
Uh, or yes, so for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And we're gonna, I'm not going to go down into 28 and 29 yet. I want us to step back up. I want us to read verse 25, and I want us to think about this. For circumcision is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Can anyone tell me what is strange about that verse? And in this, we're going we're gonna to start thinking about what it, circumcision was, what it was intended to represent, what it was not. And what must have been the case in the mind of many Jewish believers who are living at this time, based on this text. Yeah. So I want us to think, and that's, yeah, that's good. That's the, that's what he's leading them to. This idea that there's this, there's a spiritual aspect to something that is done physically, right? Uh, We all know what circumcision is, right? I'm not going to explain that to y'all. Circumcision, why was it done? When we find the first account of it in scripture, why is it done? It's a sign of what? Of being Jewish, okay? So a sign of being Jewish, is that what it represents? I want us to think about this. Do we know where the, who the first circumcised person in Scripture was? I know somebody knows. Abraham? Yeah. Yeah. Why was Abraham circumcised? As a sign of the covenant that who made with who? That God made with Abraham. Right? Now I want us to think about something here. And, and, and this is where I say, go back and read this. Go back and study this. Was Abraham circumcised before or after God said Abraham's righteous? After? Do we all agree with this? Yes, it was after. Okay? Now I want us to remember this. I want us to remember this. God says Abraham's righteous. Why? Why does God declare Abraham righteous? Because Abraham has faith that God will do what? Fulfill his promise. God made the promise to Abraham. Abraham did not go out seeking God. God came to Abraham, made Abraham promises. Abraham believed that God would fulfill his promises. Because of his belief, God said what? He declared him righteous. Later on, sometime later on, circumcision comes. To represent what? The covenant that God has made with Abraham. Was it in any way based on Abraham keeping the law? No. Clearly, why not? The law was not yet given to anybody. Was it given even in Abraham's lifetime? No. It was not. Abraham was dead and gone. Never having received the law of God. God having declared him righteous because of faith. So what is this saying here? For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. 
Because here's the thing that we know. If circumcision was of any value to the one who obeyed the law, then why did God not give the law to Abraham? For Abraham, the law need not apply. Faith applied. Right? And now we find a Jewish people who have so suppressed the truth, so have misunderstood the truth about who God is, what God's doing, what God's purposes are, that they are now equating their status with this marking that was given to the head of this nation by faith, not by works, by faith. So Paul is addressing not what is true, right? but their understanding of truth to steer them towards truth, right? So what he's going to do, and we're going to find this many places in Scripture, is Paul takes the tactic of destroying what you believe and then rebuilding it with truth, right? So we've got to get comfortable with this, this idea that Paul is going to bulldoze your false ideas down and then he's going to rebuild true ideas in its place, right? Like he deals with false ideas destructively, right? Like, he's in no way kind about those things. Right? Like he'll destroy false ideas so that truth can be raised up in its place. And this is what we're going to find plays out here as well. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So what do we know at this point? That we've, we've been led to in Scripture here that the Jews can't keep the very law that they boast in. Right? So what Paul's trying to do is to say, now what value then is there in your circumcision? If your circumcision is based off you keeping the law, then you yourselves are uncircumcised by your own reasoning and thoughts. And you know this, right? And what he's going to do is he's going to tear these things down. He's going to make way for a, a bigger gospel than what I think the world had anticipated prior to Christ coming on the scene, right? This is, the, this is the amazing truth here. Um, verse 26. So if a man who is uncircumcised, right? Now he's using this idea that the Jews have about circumcision, their placement with God, their standing in, you know, like before Him. He's using all this stuff and he's going to kind of work it against their thinking to kind of wedge itself in there so he can start breaking these, uh, breaking these things apart. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Right? So if in the Jew, if the Jew breaking the law undoes circumcision, then wouldn't the non-Jew keeping the law make circumcision? And at this point in your mind, you would be like, well, if I can't do it, how can they do it? You know, like, how can they do it if I can't do it? I've got the law. How, am I, how would they ever keep up the law, right? Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. Verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. I want us to, I want us to get this, because this is going to be an idea that's really pressed through the rest of this book when he starts dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's, He's, he's working to kind of unite these two under, under one purpose, under one idea, under one uh, Savior, right? 
So, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Right? I'm going to read that again because I want you, and y'all read it, y'all read it with me. Um, and then we'll just kind of end with that part about praise. Um, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. What do we know about this? Appearances can be deceiving. Right? Appearances can be very deceiving. And the Jews had put on, by and large, a pretty good appearance of righteousness in the way that they were living. Because they would make the things that they could do important and downplay the things that they couldn't do. Right? And this is like the epitome of hypocrisy. Right? So it was all about the outward appearance and what Christ or what uh, Paul is here trying to make the shift towards is that this idea of being a Jew, and he's going to do this in a major way with that idea that I, that I pointed out to y'all earlier that, that the first Jew was a Jew without the law and before circumcision. Right? Like he was counted righteous before all of this physical outward stuff happen. So he's going to use this to kind of roll back to show that from the very beginning, it was always intended that the outward things were representative of the inward things. And the Jews are now living in a way where it's not, right? They're living in a way where it's all about the outward representation, while inwardly, they're like dead man's tombs, you know, like just rotting inside. They were cleaned up on the outside, whitewashed tombs, you know, but on the inside, it was dead. And nothing. And this is something that Paul wants to get them away from. Right? So outwardly, no one is merely a Jew. Nor is circumcision outward or physical. So he's making this shift in ideas towards the spiritual um, being worked out here. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. I want us to see that this is always a heart issue. Right? I want us to understand this. Right, so when you when you try to check things off a list, I, I want you to ask yourselves: Is the problem in that your heart is not there? That you can't check the list off because you really and truly don't desire to check the list off. Right, you want to look good outwardly. Right, we do. When I come before you, I want you to see me unbroken. Right. I don't want you to see me struggling. I don't want you to see me fighting battles. Right? I want to stand before you and I want to look good. Right? But oftentimes our appearances are outward only and inwardly we're something else completely. Right? And we place value on the outside appearance when really we should be placing value on what's inside, what's happened in the heart, because it is going to be a change of heart that causes the list to not be the issue for you anymore. Right? It's not going to be the list being checked off that changes the state of your heart. Y'all get that? You understand that? Right? We don't. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We we desire, and this is something that, yeah, and this is something that we're going to press into as we start. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, this is true. This is true. And this is something that I want you to start thinking about. I want you to start thinking about, because what does that mean about the way that we preach and the way that we present God's Word and the purpose for it? Am I saying here that I can't stand up here or shouldn't stand up here and tell you what's sinful? Right? No, it's the nature in which. Right? It's the motive by which. Right? Not telling you that your knowledge of sin is going to change you, but desiring that you're broken by the knowledge and rebuilt by the Spirit. Right? Like, it's only the Spirit who's going to empower us. And this is what we're going to see throughout this. This is what it's telling us here in verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Right? And he doesn't just end it with that. He doesn't, doesn't just say that it's inwardly and of the heart. Right? He tells us by the means that the heart is changed. And he doesn't say, it, doesn't, it does not read, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart done by the one who obeys the law. He says the opposite. He says it's not by the letter. And when he says not by the letter, what does he mean there? He means it's not by the law. It is not in your checking off of the list that your heart has changed. It is by the Spirit. This is, a, this, is, this is important for us to get, right? If we want to live lives that look more and more like Christ, then we're going to have to live in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Yes, it is freedom. This is, this is what we're going to find as we continue pressing through this, right? Is that we've been set free from the law, Right? And, and again, when I say that, it sounds so weird because it's almost like our ears have been trained for something else. But that's in fact what we're going to find, right? Is that we've been freed to live lives. We've been freed not just to live lives, but to live holy lives. Right? We've been freed so that we can chase after righteousness. Yes. Yes, it is in no way the work of man. It is in no way the work of man. Not from the onset or to the completion or anywhere in between. And this is, this is I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that for our minds is, is sometimes, I think, difficult to grasp. But I think we need to grasp about it and we need to think about it and we need to consider it. If you find yourself, if you find yourself and you think, I'm a believer, right? I really believe. But I find myself in this constant struggle, in this constant battle with my sin and with my... I mean, one thing is that you're not going to be walking without any kind of shortcomings in this life. Like, I don't want to like tell you up front that, you know, like you start falling, you know, and that you live in the Spirit and that you'll never trip over your sinfulness. I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that one day you will never trip over your sinfulness and it will not be because you checked it off the list, right? So we have a hope that we still hope for and that's to be freed from this fleshly body that still so often goes back to its old way. But that thing that's driving us forward and that thing that will carry us on in eternity is a Spirit-filled life. Right? It is. I mean, it's something worth praising God over. He ends, he ends this. So I'm going to read 29 again and I'm just going to read it all the way through the end of the verse. And then we'll, um, we'll close and we'll pray and we'll, um, we'll do some praise and worship time. 
Um, but if you're struggling and you're finding yourself uh, constantly focused on the sin and where you fall short and you, you find that this Christian walk for you is so burdensome and so tiresome and you find yourself like feeling so labored over it, it's not supposed to be that way, right? I want to tell you, it's not supposed to be that way. You fall on Christ always, always, because your position before God is not in whether or not you check the list off, right? I, I think we need to say that as many times, and we, sometimes we need to tell it to ourselves just constantly throughout the day, is that your position before God is not based on the work that you do or that you will ever do. Your stance before God, Christian, is firm because Christ's work was complete. Do we get that? Like, like I, w- I want you to just to think about that. I want you to let that sink into you. Live in that, right? Live in that. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Yes. Yes. And it's not fun. And, and, and a lot of times, a lot of times we, feel, we feel this pain and, we, and, and it's because we're broken. Right? But God's working to heal us. Right? And He's, he's, he's working in a way that I can promise you when we step forward into eternity, we're not going to look back. You will not question Him in eternity. You won't. As hard as this life may be, right? As hard as this life may be, you will not stand before Him and question Him. Sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we think, well, when I get there, I'm going to ask Him this, or I'm going to ask Him that. When you get there, you will be so overwhelmed by who He is and what He has done that the only thing that will come from your mouth will be praise to Him, Right? And, and he's, he's doing that and He's working that in us. And this heart change, I, w- I want us to get this even tonight as we close out, that this heart change is not by our own efforts or our own struggles. This heart change is by the Spirit. Verse 29, But a Jew is one in, inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the hope that we have in You and You alone. Um, As we continue on in this section of the text dealing with sin and the problem that it uh, has in this world, um, as we see what we face or what we will be facing as we go out preaching the gospel, and as we s- see what, unfortunately, so oftentimes we, we even struggle with and wrestle with um, within the church, I pray that, that your gospel would uh, open our eyes in, in a new way that, that we as individuals or maybe we as a church as a whole have, have, have not seen it. Uh, Lord, not as though this is some new gospel. This is not some new gospel, Lord. Um, but I just pray that, that the, the truth of your gospel will sink in uh, for us as we press on into this book. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your timing. Um, Lord, as often as it as, or as, as uh, hard as it is, um, I thank you for the trials and the struggles. Um, it, is, it is in this backdrop that we will stand in eternity one day and be able to say, Uh, that none of that's worth comparing to the glory 
that you've shown to us there. Um, I thank you uh, for the breath that you've given me uh, to breathe today and the breath that you've given my family and my church family here today. I ask that we would uh, live it in such a way as to chase after Christ uh, and all that we do, Lord, that we would not be so overcome uh, in our daily battle with sin that we would lose sight of Christ's victory over that sin. Lord, that we would not in some way belittle the finished work that Christ has done because we can't quite see the finish line ourselves. Um, I thank you so much that you've uh, given me the strength to stand up here this afternoon. Um, I pray again for the sick within our church. Um, I pray also for my little boy um, that you would heal his broken body. Um, I thank you, Lord, for doctors can set and bandage and fix, but only you can heal. They can stitch and they can sew, but only you can knit us back together. And I thank you that you have created us in such a marvelous and wonderful way. Lord, and I thank you that even in the painful days of our life, that it is, that it is just a, a road block or a, a bump in the road. Lord, and that when we drive that long road into eternity, that those, those bumps in the road will seem like nothing. Lord, I thank you for Christ and for the cross. And I, I pray that for us as a, as a church that we would uh, just gain a greater understanding of your gospel. It's in Christ's name and it's for his glory. Amen.